Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we have the privilege of having Scott Skakera back on our show, and he is going to be talking about the story of our amazing grace. It's a story that's went national um, on you know, a COVID-related case uh, where she was hospitalized and the hospital um, committed some really, really bad things, did some really bad things. So there's actually some legal action going on. If you uh, Google Our Amazing Grace, um, you can um, follow the story. We actually are not streaming live on YouTube or streaming live on Facebook today because we are um, thought that we would be censored because anytime the narrative does not fit the mainstream narrative. We risk being censored, and we've been censored a few times on those platforms. And we want to be able to keep getting our message out, so we don't want to be censored anymore. Um, so we are having Scott back on, and we are going to do all we can to get this message out, and we want you to share it also so we can you know, make people be accountable, make the healthcare system be accountable to what has happened to many patients. This is not the only patient this has happened to many patients during COVID. So, um, Scott, I want to welcome you back to our show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. What I've, you know, what I've learned since I talked with you first, you know, we've been, been beat up a few times. And so I've learned if you're censored, you're doing something right. Yeah, it is. The part I don't like about it is I don't like you know, catering to them and saying, I'm not going to stream because I don't want to get censored. But by the Correct. same token, you, you want to be able to use those platforms to get the message out. So it's, it's really, it's a catch 22. It really is. And I just appreciate you doing what you're doing because um, you have been through an incredible amount of stress and pain over the last um, six, eight months. And, you know, thank you for sharing Grace's story. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It was nine months on. Uh, so, Scott, with July that, 13. what was it? Has it been nine months already? So, yeah, nine so months with then. that, Scott, update us a little bit in the story. Just tell a little bit of, okay, tell us a little bit of the background, and then we can get into some more details on the update of Grace's story. So, uh, Grace's story is well documented on ouramazinggrace.net. You know, the short version is Grace was 19 years old, she had Down syndrome. Um, I've come to the conclusion since we, we talked last that her death was a result of premeditated murder, uh, specifically genocide toward the disabled. And I have well over 700 hours of research in this case and have concluded based on my, um, I'm very analytical, so I, I could not make these judgment calls at the beginning. You, know, you have speculation and theories, and then you research and you come to conclusions. And I've come to believe um, that Grace was taken out uh, as a result of premeditated murder because she had Down syndrome. And I'm going to walk through why I believe that in, in this time that we have together. So if you're interested in catching up on Grace's story, she went in with the, the hospital with COVID. She did not die of COVID. The three updates I have all relate to her cause of death. And so, you know, Sean's program is, is typically about health solutions. And, you know, what I'm talking about is one of the most important health solutions is don't go to the hospital. And if you do need to go to the hospital, vet them ahead of time. So the three updates that I have, the first one is 
uh, relative. So there's three causes of death relative to Grace's death, none of them COVID. Uh, the first one is the use of a sedation drug called Presidex. So if you want to put that one up on the screen, I'll make sure that that we've got that right. So what happened here, uh, I was on Stu Peters about a month ago and he asked to talk about Presidex. And I, you know, of course we knew Grace was on Presidex, but I had not drilled it down. And so I had remembered on her death certificate something strange. And so I, I drilled down Presidex for the show and saw that number one, if you look at the package insert, which is which is on the screen right now, the highlighted portion says specifically that if Presidex is used for more than 24 hours, that it causes acute respiratory distress syndrome and respiratory failure. So now if you look at Grace's death certificate, which I've, I've clipped just the, a piece of the death certificate on the bottom there, the first cause of death is acute respiratory failure. Well, Grace was on Presidex for four full days before her last day. So this is a direct cause of death. And of course, you see listed the second cause of death is COVID-19 pneumonia, which is a complete lie. But the purpose of putting that on the death certificate is the hospital receives a $13,000 bonus. So you'd think, well, what is the reason they had her on Presidex? And it really is, is not... Um, not a well-known situation. Uh, every Almost everybody that goes into the hospital now, if they have COVID, gets on Presidex. And the reason is, is because the room instantly gets classified as ICU. So in Grace's case, she never changed rooms and the care never changed, but the room got classified as ICU. And so what does that mean? Well, it means the hospital gets more money. Second of all, the room gets classified so that if we would have chosen to say, hey, we want to take Grace out of here, we can't because it's called against medical advice. So then you have to jump through hoops to get your loved one out of the hospital once they're on a sedation bed. And so what's their main reason why is that they're wanting to set up the patient or um, the loved one to agree to a ventilator and in order to put a ventilator in the patient, they have to be sedated. With COVID, a ventilator is not even a legitimate treatment option, um, but still the lion's share of the population believes it is. So we're still sharing the message that, you know, if you um, go into the hospital with COVID, uh, do not get on a ventilator. It's not a legitimate treatment method. And be wise to the fact that you've got to have an advocate supporting you because if they're not, I mean, I was there with Grace until I was taken out by an armed guard. And then my daughter, Jessica, was there afterward and they still took her out. Um, so uh, the informed consent that they're supposed to follow just is gone. They're doing everything under the guise of the emergency use authorization so they get away with literally murder. So that's the first update is Presidex. Uh, the second update, I don't have a handout to reference with that one, but it's related to the med combination that took Grace out. So when I went through Grace's story the first time with you, Sean, I went through the details of her last day. And so her last day on this earth was October 13th of 2021, the day before she had a great day. Uh, in fact, her oxygen levels were at 98, 99% the entire night before. The doctor called Cindy and I the morning of Grace's last day 
wanting a decision for a, the fifth time for a pre-authorization for a ventilator. Of course, we denied that again because we were wise to ventilators. So there's just no reason for a ventilator ever. Well, then he switched gears and said, I think we should um, put Grace on a feeding tube because she's malnourished. Well, she was malnourished because they didn't feed her and they wouldn't let myself or my daughter Jessica feed her. So now she's malnourished. So he says, well, I think we should use a feeding tube um, to get her organs working so that we can get her out of here in a few days. So we foolishly agreed to that. Well, ultimately, you walk through her last day and the sequence of events is so horrific. We went through that the first time, so I'm not going to go through it again. But what the new information is, is... So now, remember, she's already on Presidex. At 10.48 that morning, they had increased the dosage to 14 times the original dose. So now Grace is real sleepy. They, in spite of that, they gave her lorazepam, and they gave her three doses of lorazepam, one at 11.25, one at 5.46, one at 5.49. Well, at 6.15, then they gave her an IV push of morphine. So that combination of Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine are called end-of-life meds. They're used to take people out when they're in hospice and they are, they're at the end of their life. Well, it's, it's the combination that took Grace out. So that's been known. But what we've learned since the last time that you and I talked was the following. Number one, of course, we knew that a doctor had to order those meds. Uh, the doctor in this case had somewhere between 11 and 20 years experience based on the hospital's website. The new information is that the hospital pharmacist had to sign off on that order. And then on top of that, so the second new piece of information is because that med combination on the morphine package insert says to not combine them because they're contraindicated and it causes death, the alarm had to be overridden. And then last, which we knew last time, is the nurse in charge of Grace's care that ultimately chose to deliver these meds had 14 years of ICU experience on top of her regular nursing experience. So that combination really got me to that point of, of believing this was premeditated murder. And then we'll go to the third update, which is the eight minutes. It's titled eight minutes that changed our life. So what this one uh, came from is that when we were first introduced to Tom Renz, and ultimately he's decided to take on Grace's case as a as a national test case. Um, what happened was is he hired a, a medical malpractice nurse to review all the records that I had already reviewed with the doctor. And that nurse said, Scott, you're missing at least a thousand pages. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, that's the way they do it. They don't, they never give you everything. So I asked her to write up a request for the remaining pages and we received another 948 pages. Well, this is page 853 of 948. So now I'll just take you to Grace's last seven minutes on this earth and then show you where that fits. So at 7.20, our daughter Jessica called Cindy and I at home panicking saying Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy, dad. And I said, well, get the nurses in. She said, they won't come in. I've been trying. So Cindy and I start screaming through the phone. It's a FaceTime call to the nurses. We holler, save our daughter. And they holler back to us, she's DNR, which means do not resuscitate. And we holler, she's not DNR, save our daughter. 
And so we found out because Jessica ran in the hall at that point to figure out what's going on. And the nurse read off the computer that the doctor put a DNR on Grace and there's nothing they could do about it. Well, that's illegal. And on top of that, it's illegal that if even if Grace would have put a DNR on herself, when my wife who was the medical power of attorney said she's not DNR, save our daughter. It null and voids any DNR. Well, this particular document shows that the doctor put the DNR on Grace eight minutes after they maxed out this sedation drug called Presidex. And one of the attorneys who reviewed the records suggested that the reason they did that then was because they thought the Presidex was going to be enough to take Grace out. So they had to have the DNR in place in order to accomplish the goal. So those are the three updates and the three causes of death in Grace's case. And this is this is a major warning to anybody paying attention. Uh, originally, when I saw this, these documents and did the research, I thought, you know, I don't think Grace's case is an anomaly. Well, since then, since Grace's case has gone national, lots of different people have contacted us. Um, and why we're sharing this message is because this, what they did to Grace is this the standard of care state sanctioned already in the UK. And of course, our society right now is more focused on what's called collectivism instead of individualism. So they can make up these excuses for blanket DNRs, giving the doctor permission to do DNRs. They lie about the hospitals being full. This is all part of a lot bigger agenda, which is what I've discovered as, as the research has continued, which we'll go through after we get caught up on a couple other things. Awesome. So, Janet, um, this is the first time you've heard the details of the case um, from Scott. Do you have any questions for him regarding the specifics on this? Well, I, I actually, I really have a comment because in my own family, there's been times where we've actually had somebody on a DNR, which was my father, and my sister was in the room, and she said, please don't take, you know, take the DNR off. And they did. They They actually performed services for someone that had a DNR. So to me, it is really tragic when you have somebody that no family had even signed and the patient hadn't signed and they're not even paying attention because my sister overrode just by being there as a family member. And I, I it, to me, it's just shocking. Well, that's the state statute, Janet. You know, that's the state statute in Wisconsin, but most states are going to have a model that fits that. And it really is, a lot of times statutes don't make any sense, but the DNR statutes, it's just all common sense put into a statute. So, you know, you think about a DNR is maybe the most important document anybody would ever sign. So, of course, what's the first thing? It has to be signed. You know, so, you know, they, if, if they thought it was so important and it was legal, why didn't they have my wife come in and sign it? I mean, it's it's right. insane. And then another thing that is in most state statutes is the patient is supposed to have a bracelet on, is you know, to announce it to the world. Right. So why didn't they put a bracelet on Grace? Well, I you know, of course, no, this is speculation. A lot of things I talk about are exact facts because they're taken right out of the records. But I suspect the reason they didn't put a bracelet on Grace is because my daughter Jessica was in there and she would have been on the phone with me in about two seconds to say, Dad, did you just approve a DNR for Grace? She's got a bracelet on. And I mean, then I, you know, of course, I would have driven down there and, you know, kicked somebody's butt. Right. 
Yeah. So let's um let's continue with this case, Scott. Keep keep updating us. Well, I, I'm glad to do that. I mean, a lot is a lot's going on. So I mentioned Tom Renz is now um, involved with the case. I really don't have anything to report there because they have just requested even more records than we don't have because they want to make sure they have every single document before they they frame the case and then um, take it to the next step. So uh, I don't have anything more to report there. Uh, once that happens. Uh, Tom and I will be making a joint announcement, and I'm guessing we're going to make the interview circuit then because it'll be fairly big news. Uh, you know, they've got everybody scared, and through the emergency use authorization and then the PREP Act, what's going on is there's immunity from liability. So you have, you know, obviously the hospitals are getting paid bonuses. We already know that. Then we have a shroud of secrecy because they hardly let anybody in the room. I mean, it's it's uh, quite an exception to have somebody in the room like Jessica and I were. And then then third with immunity, immunity from liability. So that type of combination is um, something that only a godly person could withstand because it's it's a huge temptation. I mean, the love of money is the root of all evil. And here you got it. I mean, in, in the hospital system, Grace died in the uh, Ascension Hospital System received $10 billion from the government in the first year of COVID. Uh, I mean, that's insanity just to accomplish the goal that they, the agenda that they have in mind. So, yeah, it is, you know, it's almost, listening to this story, it's almost unbelievable. Um, But I will tell you that just hearing other cases go on, and it is just clear that the hospitals have taken COVID and they have used it for their profit. Um, I think it's one of the reasons, you know, two and a half years later that COVID is still going on. They don't want it to end because they have gotten billions and billions, maybe trillions of dollars when you follow all the money and all the income streams that they have um, from from COVID. So it's, yeah, it's um, actually, it's it actually exposed. Four, four trillion. Four trillion already has been um, wow given given wow. to hospitals to accomplish dirty work. Yeah, wow. And I, I'm with you, Scott. And Jan and I have we've we've talked with each other in detail. It's like don't ever ever take me to a hospital without you being there, and don't ever let a, a family member be in a hospital alone ever ever. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, they're not all in on this. I mean, so some people still have a conscience. Uh, You might remember, I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died, and I just about died the first night. And I can't speak highly enough about that particular hospital because they saved my life. Um, Yeah, and this is, you know, of course, I didn't know the hospitals are in on it then. Grace had just died three days early. So, I mean, it was by God's grace that I made it through, and I think part of the reason is so that I could share this story objectively. Absolutely. Janet, what other questions do you have for Scott before we move on into some of the other details of the case? Well, Scott, I I, I feel really um, bad, and it hits really um, home with me, my family. I had a cousin who had Down syndrome, and he was very high-functioning, and Randy's siblings... Um, you know, they did not treat him any different than any other sibling. And and basically, you know, I remember when he finally passed, he was he was a blessing to their life because 
he saw things in such a different way. And to me, it's really tragic that we have a, a group of people out there that decide who's important and who is loved and who isn't. And, you know, since Grace was already so entrenched with the family that cared for her, obviously, to me, this really is, um, it's barbaric that they would take her out knowing there was a family that was already taking care of her. I mean, I, I, to me, it's just tragic from that standpoint that you're in healthcare and you see a mother and a father and a sibling there standing there fighting for her life. And yet we are going to take her out. I, there's something very demonic and evil in my brain over, over, over what happened because the value of life doesn't, I mean, we, we, we don't decide that for somebody or somebody else's family member. I just, it, it just, I'm sorry. I'm just very overwhelmed with it. Well, you're, you're right on in every single point you made. So the first one is, you know, uh, a person with Down syndrome, they are an absolute gift to the, the world. I mean, grace was the best thing God ever gave us, you know, outside of salvation, of course. But I mean, you know, physically you have to have, have somebody like Grace in your life. I mean, I thought, you know, how did we deserve this? I mean, she just was, she was so wonderful. Uh, You know, she had a sense of humor. I mean, I miss her more than anybody I've ever missed in my life. Um, And then to say this is evil, you know, that's, you know, we're going to drill that down a bit here as we, um, as we go forward, because that, that truly is, is what's going on. And, you know, I spent an awful lot of time on, on this particular topic. You know, just one other positive thing, we can put the, um, the latest billboard vinyl up, I think would be, would be neat to have people see. So we started a billboard campaign. Um, it's, it's gotten fairly, fairly big. We have seven, we have 17 boards up now. Um, mm. Yeah, and so this is the latest. This is the latest vinyl, and uh, and so what we're you know at the beginning when we first started sharing Grace's story, we just you know you just want to get it out there so other people don't have to lose their best buddy. But you know if you don't if people don't turn to God over this and see God is the only answer, it really is a waste of time. And this vinyl that's up now. Um, you know, that's, that's what this is about. You know, Grace, Grace shared God's love while she was on this earth. And ultimately that's, that's the hope, you know, even the doctor and nurse who killed Grace, you know, the best justice of all would be if they repent because they're looking at eternity and hell if they don't. And uh, so we're hoping that these boards make a difference. We have, we've invested, uh, it's hard to grasp this, but we've, we've got over $250,000 in billboards. Never thought that would happen, but it's <laughs> yeah. Quite- yeah, we made it a little bit bigger so we can see it. Thank you, Steph. And um, tell us, so where all do you have these spread out? 17 of them, you said? Yeah, these are all in our area in Wisconsin. Uh, okay. So they're, they're all, um, uh, we have a whole bunch of them on the main highway. Those are the expensive ones. And then we have some of them that are remote. And of course, those are a lot less expensive when you don't have the traffic going by, but they're all in, in decent traffic areas. And we get, we get quite a, quite a few comments on them, which is, is neat. So this is, this is a, of course, a positive message. The first two, we have, we got five different messages out right now. The first two were calling out the hospital specifically for the med combination and the illegal DNR. And now 
we're we're switching gears a little bit and framing things in in the positive. It doesn't mean that we're not calling things out yet, but we just wanted to get this message out because this was this was my best buddy Grace right there. So, how have the hospitals been responding to you calling them out? Uh, it's all crickets, you know, nothing. And several several news reporters have reached out. We've been in the Epoch Times twice. Um, and, you know, lots of them have reached out and, no, you know, they just will not respond. Wow. So let's see. We've got a few other documents, um, yep. I, I believe. Something about the disabled. Is that correct? Right. So, uh, yep. So this one's dated June 1st. This was when, uh, so back when I was doing the original research, I thought Grace may have been taken out because she had Down syndrome and, and ultimately started researching. But why I thought she was taken out because of Down syndrome is I had reviewed the doctor's reports and there was 22 doctor's reports while Grace was in the hospital. And in those 22 reports, they mentioned that Grace had Down syndrome 36 different times. So that doesn't make any sense. That would be like, if I'm in the hospital, they put gray haired male 36 different times. There's no purpose of that. They only need to put it one time and it carries through, right? So that started getting me thinking, well, then some of the the um, the veils have been lifted as to what's really going on. So the number one and number two causes of death of COVID are being elderly and disabled. And so, of course, the press will paint those two as comorbidities. Well, they're, they're not comorbidities at all. How can be elderly and disabled be the number one and number two causes of death? This, this uh, news release points out that a disabled female has a 11 time more likely chance of dying than a non-disabled female in the hospital. In Grace's case, Grace didn't have any comorbidities. You know, she, she had Down syndrome. That's not a comorbidity. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So when the veil gets lifted, I think everybody's going to see what I'm now working on and exposing, which is, is this genocide. So um, the next document is is talks about the genocide in in a fair degree of detail and i'd like to go through through that so what yes, what's please. going on here is i so i'm going through this as who what how um and why and then what's the solution so i'd like to spend the balance of our time on this document and if you i want to just frame this so if you think through World War II, you think, well, how did this even happen? How did any of this stuff even happen? Well, the reparations from World War I were how Hitler got in power. Um, the, the, the financial burden of the reparations had the Germans looking for an alternative solution. So if we follow the money trail in the United States, the disabled and the elderly are 39% of the federal budget. And the last Medicare trustees report, which is dated August 31st of 2021, it concluded that substantial changes need to be made. And I'm here to say substantial changes means including taking people out. Well, in the, in the research that I've done since Grace died, I stumbled across Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, which has an, an overall agenda called the sustainability agenda. And one of the two tenants, so of course there's 
climate control, which they've been pushing on us for years, but the other one is population control. And that's never been out in the public, but it's getting out in the public now and people are getting wise to it. And I'm, I'm sharing that in fact, it's happening. And that's why Grace was taken out. So they're taking people out you know, you're in the alternative media, so you know what's going on with the jab. You know, birth rates are being reduced because of the jab. Dr. Malone came out and said in December, if you want to have grandkids, don't let your kids get vaccinated. The The death rate of the the people with that who have been vaccinated is substantially higher than the death rate of the non-vaccinated. Kids are having strokes, cancer's going up, healthy athletes are dying. So that's just the genocide related to the jab. But what I'm explaining is the genocide, when we think about it, is normally about population groups like the disabled, the elderly. But what it is, it's, it's way bigger than that. They're after a worldwide population reduction because the evil that Satan has laid out is, and he's got his minions believing is that this, this planet can't survive with 8 billion people. So now we take it to the hospitals. And of course I already explained the elderly and the disabled are, are the first to go. Well, what, so what is the reason? How can the elderly and the disabled be the first to go? How did this even get set up? Well, in this process, I, I came across Hannah Arendt's research and she's the one who researched the Adolf Eichmann trial in 1961. And she coined this phrase, the banality of evil, which means evil so commonplace, we don't even recognize it. So I want to set this up to explain relative to the disabled and the elderly. What does that look like? You know, so you might say, Scott, what do you mean evil so commonplace with the elderly and the disabled? Okay, so... If a young person gets pregnant today, what does the doctor recommend? And the doctor always recommends that they get an amnio done. So then they get an amnio done and the amnio shows that the, the um, baby's going to have Down syndrome or going to be disabled with some major complication. What does the doctor recommend? He recommends aborting. In the United States right now, 67% of Down syndrome children are already aborted. Worldwide, some countries are substantially higher. Some countries have eliminated Down syndrome. Denmark, for example, has eliminated 98%. They consider it um, that it's, it's basically an unclean part of the population. And so now take that as that's considered normal. So in the United States, it's considered normal to abort a Down syndrome child. It's considered normal to abort a disabled child. And so now that same child gets into a hospital. So the young nursing staff, they see that person already as somebody that doesn't fit the mold that they've been indoctrinated to. That's the banality of evil. It's so commonplace, the person in society doesn't even realize it's happening. As that applies, same concept applies to the elderly. You know, five decades ago, when I was a kid, you took care of your parents. You didn't put them in a nursing home, but now nursing homes have become commonplace. So that person's already lived their life. They just get to end their life in a nursing home. And so that is the banality of evil relative to the elderly. So now that same elderly person gets into the hospital and the young staff sees them as expendable. So that's the banality of evil. 
So now another thing that happened out of the Adolf Eichmann trial is the Milgram obedience experiment. Your Milgram obedience experiment took 40 different people. Remember, this is an experiment. 20 of the people were actors. 20 of the people were participants. The participants didn't know that it was an experiment. The actors, of course, did know. The 20 actors were hooked up to electrical leads. And if they answered questions incorrectly, the instructor told the participant to give the the actor a jolt. Remember, it's a, the person's an actor. The person giving the jolt doesn't realize they're not really getting jolted. Two-thirds of those participants gave a high enough of a jolt to kill the other person just because they were instructed to do so. So now, if you overlay the banality of eat you overlay the Milgram obedience experiment with the banality of evil, and what you've got is the perfect setup for taking out people like Grace and the elderly in a hospital setting. Oh, that's a lot to, that, to that, soak in, but what do you right. think of, what's your reaction to that? Well, uh, my first reaction was when we had our oldest son, um, when I was pregnant, they wanted us to do the test for Down syndrome. And at that time, the the test for genetic testing was horrible. The, the amount of success or the amount of, you know, truth to those tests were, were was horrible. The accuracy was not even close in my mind. But the second thing that hit Sean and I was, why would you ask us this? Because I it wouldn't have mattered to me. I, I would have not chose any other way to go forward. It was not, to me, it, it was just, well, your age. Well, I wasn't that old. And, and on top of it, Maybe it would help prepare me as a mother, but I don't know. I, I And if you think about people who have been given that test and they were inaccurate, did they tell them that? Did, yeah. did, did they, if they went forward with that decision, did they tell them, hey, you made the wrong choice? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it was just in my mind, it was like, why are you even asking me? And, well, you know, I, I think we've been doing that for what? That was 22 years ago, right, right. right? So how long have we been asking people to do this? And you're, you're absolutely right. It's just part of our culture now. It's just, Correct. you know, and it slowly slipped in. And, you know, in my brain, you know, I had the experience of having a cousin with Down syndrome and Randy was amazing. He actually held down, he had two jobs in his life. He lived in an apartment. He did have people that helped him, you know, but... His siblings talk about what he added to their life was amazing. And so to me, this is just how do we decide, you know, that, oh, we have downs, so that's not okay. We, you know, to eliminate a, a whole group of people from our society is really, really tragic. Well, I'll take you to when Grace was born, Janet. Um, you know, we never did any of the tests. And you know, I, I remember being in the in the delivery room and Grace came out and I thought, I looked at her, I thought, well, I think she has Down syndrome. And they whisked her away and because she had a hole in her heart, low oxygen. And then the doctors came in and said, we suspect your daughter has Down syndrome. Do you want to keep her? Oh, my 
And uh, and so my wife and I was like, what are you talking about? Of course we want to keep her. And they explained that most people don't want to keep the baby. And so they have people that would adopt. So, I mean, so we made it through through because we never did any of the testing um, because it didn't matter to us. You know, but in, of course, it doesn't matter if you do the test or not. If you've already you're already grounded you're not going to abort the baby. But I mean, most people are not grounded anymore with, with right and wrong. So, you know, they're only looking at it through the lens of how is this going to make things complicated for my life? Well, and unfortunately um, they listen to uh, mainstream and even mainstream medicine where, you know, there's a reason there's at, they're asking those questions. And what was the term you used again? The the syndrome, the, um, Scott, what was that term you used again? The, I want the banality of evil. Yeah. The banality of evil. I, I think, and it's not, it's not a personal thing. I'm not personalizing against doctors or nurses or, or whoever, who's ever in the system. It's just, it's the way that you're trained. You're just used to listen to that kind of stuff. And so you right. ask those kind of questions when in reality, if you just think rationally about it, it's like, why are we asking that question? Well, that's that's a that's a great segue into this this evil because so very few people would know this. I found this in the research that we did, but in Nazi Germany, when they were going through their process of learning how to exterminate uh, the different people, I mean, they exterminated the disabled first before you know everybody knows about extermination of the Jews, but they actually did the disabled first. But what that's not my point. My point is that the you know you think of a German soldier as a tough guy, you know, he's executing commands. And this was one of the exceptions. So when the German soldier could not kill, they did not get a reprimand because they they couldn't take it. You know, they're you know, they couldn't take killing people that way. So that's when the doctors and nurses got enlisted into the program. They used the doctors and nurses to accomplish the agenda. So what's the reason? It's because they're used to compartmentalizing death. And you know, the same thing is happening right now. These doctors and nurses just process something so so obvious. So there, you know, Grace Grace was taken out by a completely different method than what you hear in most of the stories. Most of the stories are remdesivir and a ventilator. So just take remdesivir and a ventilator. There's we're we're the we have 4.7% of the world's population. We're the only country with with over 1 million deaths related to COVID. Most of those are remdesivir ventilators. So now if you're a doctor, Sean, in the hospital setting, and now your first five patients in a row, you gave remdesivir and a ventilator, and they died. Wouldn't your light bulb go right. on, right? To yeah. say, boy, I mean, this—I wonder if this combination works. This—I don't think you know. So then you'd start researching, right? It's like they're just all a bunch of zombies, and they—they're—they're they're so used to following commands. Um, that they're not using their brains. And that's also part of the banality of evil. Mm -hmm. We have taken critical thinking completely out of the school system. You see in my, my handout, I call it the fool system because it's producing a bunch of fools. You know, yeah. th that's the banality of evil. Well, and, you know, part of the reason those doctors and nurses, first of all, I will say this. I know doctors and nurses that have left hospitals during covid because they couldn't ethically practice there 
because it was so bad. Um, and I've I've known handfuls, and I, I I don't see that many. And I know handfuls of nurses and doctors that have done that. So um, it's true, it's real. It was going on, um, and there are some people that had ethics and left. Um, but also, you know, you got to understand some of the things that would happen to those nurses and doctors. You see it now, Scott, is that if they didn't follow the protocol, the standard of care, the standard of care protocol, their license was on the line, which means their livelihood to make a living was on the line because of that. And we've used licenses to weaponize um, and threaten people to follow the total line, period. So, you know, what, what's hard, and you're, you're spot on with that. What, what we find still with us sharing the story is people cannot believe that this is behind it. They still think Grace's story is an anomaly. This can't be happening. Um, you know, we've, we're fighting, you know, if you just think about how many times has the average person heard safe and effective relative to the jab? Okay, so we're fighting that. So my wife asked a couple of weeks ago, how come you still are doing all, like in June, I had 50 interviews. How come you're still doing all these interviews? Well, because we're fighting safe and effective. <laughs> you know, we got to keep repeating this so people get it. I mean, this is, this is really happening. Um, so as we, so what is really happening? And, and what I wanted to share is, is even uh, more shocking than, than people being killed by the white coat in the hospital. So the white coats, for the most part, are not following the Hippocratic Oath. There's some that are, and the real good ones that are in, in the bad hospitals are getting out, like Sean said, and I applaud those people because that would be the fastest way to stop this if, if those people know what they're doing is wrong. But we've got a system in place that has rejected God and so if you started with a blank piece of paper, you would come up with exactly what's going on. We need to control the climate and we need to control the population. And Satan has unleashed that belief on, on the world. And the people who do not believe in God have fallen trapped to that. And, you know, the if you look at the United States as a country and the Nuremberg Code as a result of World War II, there's something that both had in common. So the United States, uh, we have a great constitution, the Bill of Rights. So what, what happened? And what happened is we lost God as part of that. So now a nation that rejects God is simply getting the consequences. The Nuremberg Code is not exactly the same, but I put in the same the same vein because the Nuremberg Code was written so that this never happens again. And so what's going on, this is happening again at a gigantic scale. This is now worldwide. It's not just Germany. It's happening worldwide. So what's the reason? Well, you can never legislate morality. Morality is a heart issue. And so you can never legislate morality. So putting a law in place without the heart issue being addressed, of course, this is going to happen again. History repeats itself. And so we're just seeing history repeating itself. So what is, um, you know, Satan, how, what is, how does this even work? And I, I was listening to a sermon about three weeks ago, and he laid this out very well. It's Ephesians six twelve. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, wickedness in high places. 
So breaking that down, we're wrestling persons without bodies. A person who has doesn't know God, that means they only know Satan. They do not see the light that God brings to the equation. They're, they're only living in darkness. They do not have a free will. So they are become minions, unknowing minions in a process that that makes sense. They're just simply implementing a belief, which is, again, it's a logical belief if you don't believe in God. We have too many people on the planet and and we need to control the climate. Those are just logical beliefs if you don't think, if you don't believe in God. And of course, what did God tell us at the beginning? In the beginning, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And he never sent an amendment. So that meant he got it covered. You know, so... You know, the reality is, is that's what, that's what's going on. And I know that's scary when, when I say that, but I have come to believe through an awful lot of hours of study that that is in fact happening, that Satan has been unleashed. And so then what can we do? You know, so there's a whole movement of people who are trying to um, get different people in politics and things like that. Yeah, that's, I'm I'm not um, saying that God wouldn't get somebody involved with politics, but man can never solve a problem created by man. So they're wasting an awful lot of time in politics. And so I wrote a few things that that we can do. But um, before I start rattling through those, Sean, do you have any other questions right now? Well, I have a comment. So um, you, know, you, you, you mentioned Hitler. You mentioned – I don't know if you talked about the Holocaust, but I think you're, you have somebody that you've interviewed that's a Holocaust survivor actually – Yes, um, I'd love to talk about that. Um, you you have talked about World War II and and some of those things, and I think this COVID thing was a perfect was timed perfectly. And I believe one of the reasons why is because most people that were around during World War II and around during the Holocaust, they're dead now. Um, I will tell you that my grandparents, if they were still alive. And they saw that they, if you would have told them two years ago and they would have been in their eighties or one of them would have been, well, they would have been close to a hundred and you would have told my grandparents who fought in world war two, you would have said, um, Mr. Needham and Mr. Gilland, you guys need to stay home. Um, you don't have an option. You have to stay home and stay locked up in your houses. I can guarantee you what my grandparents would have said. Absolutely. They said they, they fought people like that. They got shot at. And they would have said, no, that's not what you're going to tell me. So conveniently, the people that survived that were no longer around. Most of them weren't to fight back because they wouldn't allow it to happen. You know, that generation would have never let it happen. But we've got complacent as people. And we forgot about a lot of those things, even if we've heard about them, because we didn't see them firsthand. So um, I think the COVID thing was perfectly timed to let that happen because those people were um, passed on already. I, I, you hit a, you hit a nail right on the head with that. And it's also one of the reasons that they wanted to take out the elderly first, which of course, as I said, it's the number one cause of death with COVID is being elderly. And it's one of the reasons they wanted to take out the elderly first is because that is where all the wisdom is. Right. You know, they were not indoctrinated with this banality of evil. They had a completely different set of beliefs and, you know, so if you take that segment of the population out, you know, it makes total sense if your goal is to accomplish an agenda. 
Yeah, for sure. So tell us about this Holocaust survivor that you've interviewed. Well, it's um, so God has opened up so many doors, Sean. So we started this interview or not the interview, the, the research process um, right at the beginning of June. And then uh, the banality of evil. I met a guy in Tennessee and he's explaining this to me and he sent me this link. And so then you start digging more and more and more. Well, then um, I listened to a lady. Her name is Vera Sherov. She's 85 years old. I listened to her on a podcast and I thought, oh, my gosh, we're wasting our time researching. She knows everything. So then uh, we've gotten busy enough. We had to hire a, a public relations person. So I had, his name is Calvin. I had him uh, reach out to her, try to contact her. And um, 10 days ago, so he wasn't successful. Wasn't She wasn't getting back to him. So then I did. This is the second time it's happened in this process. The first time was with Dr. Paul Merrick, who is an intensivist where I looked up his phone number in Google and I called and he and you know, I got, I got to talk with him. Well, so then I just Googled Vera's name and a phone number pops up. So I called it. And so I, I, so a lady answers the phone and she says, um, you know, who are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for Vera. Well, what is the reason you're looking for her? And I tell her a little bit about what the reason I'm looking for. And she says, I'm Vera. Well then her and I, uh, we just hit it off. And, you know, so now next week we're going, actually we have our first interview this week, but we're doing a press release tomorrow announcing we've agreed to do joint interviews. And so That's we're going to awesome. be starting those this week to do, you know, of course, my purpose of the interview is really just, I'm just a dad. I'm to introduce the, the star of the program, which is Vera, but uh, she looks at it a little bit different. She sees it as Grace's was a fatality and, it really puts a name with a face for what she's known. And so that's why we're going to be doing this, this jointly. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that interview. That's going to be, uh, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that are be, that are going to be revealed. Oh, she is. She's so sharp. I mean, I, she reminds me of my grandma. My grandma was so sharp like this too. And, you know, you just, I get on the, so, and she's so gracious. So I just thought, you know, I'm talking with her and I thought, you know what, I got to fly out to New York and meet her because, you know, it's all about the relationships, right? So I called her last, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before. And I said, Vera, I've been thinking about this and I, I think I need to, I'd like to fly out and, and meet you, take you to dinner and talk for three, four hours. And she says, Oh, Scott, I don't think that's necessary. I think that we can, I think that we can do this via zoom. She said, <laughs> it just was so beautiful. So um, Scott, we're, we're, as we wind this podcast up, what, what are some final comments that you have about Grace's cases uh, on this most recent update? Well, I, I would like to just spend the final comments and saying there's things that, a couple of things that we can do. So I'm not, I definitely, definitely am not promoting the revolution that people think is coming. I'm promoting a revelation and there's still things that we can do. So the revelation is about, you know, if you're separated from God, get back to God, but there's things that we can do. So, so Vera mentions, for example, we can resist. So resistance is doing something. So if they tell us to, get, you know, if you're resisting the, the vaccination, good for you. If they tell us to mask up again, resist that. We know the truth this time. There's absolutely no reason to be wearing a mask. So she she has said that 
um, obedience to these control tactics is empowering them. And she's right on. And so resistance is an example of, in the parable of the talents, the person who had one talent and did nothing with it, Jesus rejected them. And so we can do something. You know, I, I'm doing my part. I just, you know, I'm doing a different part. Not everybody's going to have an opportunity like God's been given me, but we can still do something with our one talent. If you hear Sean's podcast, you can share it with one other person. That's doing something with your one talent. Uh, resisting is doing something. And the biggest thing of all, well, actually, there's two things I would end with. Um, what I believe is coming. So I think this is going to get worse before it gets better. But what I think is coming is the better is going to be Satan is covering both sides of the equation. So he he is showing us how corrupt the government is right now. And he's going to come in on a white horse with some solutions. And we are so used to security and comfort. We love security and comfort. And I'm challenging anybody who believes in God to not fall for that security and comfort. The Bible says Satan will come in as an angel of light, and that's the security and comfort, and a whole bunch of people are going to fall trapped to that. And then last is our attitude. Uh, our attitude should be the same as Jesus's attitude on the cross, which is forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. And that's the attitude that I want to have, and I would encourage everybody to have through this. And, you know, God, God wins in the end, so there's no reason to be fearful. Um, so that's what I'd well, like to end with. Well, thank you for that. Those are inspiring words. Um, leaves us with hope, which is uh, what God wants us to have is, you know, ultimately hope in him. Because in the end, he does win. We have to go through some trials and tribulations, but in the end, he does win. And that's 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 inspiring and hopeful. So thank you, Scott, for sharing that. Well, thanks, for, thanks a lot, John. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Well, Scott, what I do know about um, the little stuff I know about legal arguments is you're in for a long ride. So um, it's going to be a long case, and I want you to keep us updated. I want our listeners and viewers to know about this case because I think your case could set a precedence. Um, we actually have this Thursday on our podcast, we will have an attorney actually who started the Silent Majority Foundation, and he has some nationwide cases that he's co-counsel with um, and a few in Washington State that he's lead counsel on um, about these kind of subjects. And um, so you know what? We're not alone. We need to. We do need to resist and we do need to stand up because if we are all obedient, we this could be like Nazi Germany. And I think Vera, when you interview her, will probably reiterate that. I agree. I mean, she's she's a walking encyclopedia, and uh, it's it's a it's a real blessing to to have um, that door opened up. So, Scott, we're streaming it down there. I'm going to go ahead and let our listeners and viewers know, though, that if they want to find out more information, they can go to ouramazinggrace.net. Correct? That's right. Yeah, and they can even reach out to you on. There's a contact link on there for you. That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Um, you've really helped realize our goal of this podcast, which is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health. And we've definitely done that today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. All right. And listeners and viewers, tune in. I already let you know, but Thursday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., our midweek podcast, we will have Pete Serrano. He is an attorney with the Silent Majority Foundation. He's going to be talking about uh, one of his most recent uh, cases um, regarding 
um, COVID in Washington State. Uh, so you don't want to miss out on that. Tune in 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in. And we will hopefully um, be streaming live on Facebook and YouTube here shortly, but we don't do it if we're talking anything COVID because we don't want to get censored. So um, stay tuned, um, but do subscribe to our YouTube. Check out those videos and comment, and we will talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. 